within the ongoing discourse surrounding addiction, it's imperative to challenge the conventional narrative that portrays addiction as an irrefutable brain disease. Historically, addiction is not a recent phenomenon. Thinkers from ancient times, such as the Greeks, have grappled with understanding why some individuals succumb to addictions while others did not. Numerous explanations, well over a hundred to date, have been proposed by scholars throughout history. However, in the last century, just the last century, only two predominant schools of thought have emerged. The first school of thought views addiction as a moral failing, attributing it to selfishness and destructive personal choices. This perspective underpinned the punitive approach of the war on drugs, which led to the mass incarceration of over a million Americans each year in the 1980s, primarily for minor drug offenses. Huh. The futility of this approach became evident by the mid-1990s, as drug use rates remained largely unaffected and it disproportionately harmed minority communities. Fascinating enough, in response, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, NIDA, a component of the National Institutes of Health, convened in 1995 to find an alternative solution. They introduced the second prevailing model of addiction, which characterizes addiction as a brain disease. This model asserts that addictive substances hijack the brain, rendering addicts helpless passengers on a runway freight train driven by their own neurochemistry. Even if an addict desired to quit, according to this model, they will lack the capacity to do so. However, this perspective has faced a massive growing amount of criticism from professionals all over the world who work directly with addicts. One, Dr. Sally Sattel, an addiction psychiatrist and professor at Yale University, points out that while addiction does indeed alter the brain, so does any other experience, including the very act of having this conversation. The pivotal question centers around whether these brain changes eliminate an individual's capacity to make choices, and the evidence suggests they do not. People can transcend the neurochemical turbulence and regain control of their behavior, making any type of change possible. There's a notable lack of concrete scientific evidence pinpointing the specific brain changes induced by drug use that lead to addiction. Furthermore, experiments on lab animals that were raised in restrictive environments contributed to the belief that drugs hijack behavior. However, a tad bit of information was left out. When these animals were placed in a natural and stimulating setting, their addictive behaviors diminished, mirroring the human potential for recovery. The brain disease model of addiction, as advanced by NIDA, inadvertently undermines the motivation for individuals to reclaim their lives from their addiction. It lacks the recognition 
that environmental and social factors play a massive role within addiction. Instead, it paints addiction as chronic, incurable, and discourages those who strive to overcome it, and it causes a fatalistic outlook. The perspective even leads to individuals and family members to give up on helping their loved ones who struggle with addiction because of this lie that they have a disease that's incurable. Addiction recovery is a journey that requires effort, support, and incentives. Dr. Sattel emphasizes the importance of incentives and environment in helping addicts make positive changes, contradicting the notion that addiction is an immutable brain disease. For example, the case of addicted soldiers in Vietnam who overcame their heroin addiction to return home challenges this deterministic view that relapse is inevitable. Furthermore, studies have demonstrated that individuals struggling with addiction are capable of making rational decisions even when it comes to their drug use. Contrary to the brain disease model, this suggests that addicts are not helpless passengers of a hijacked brain. They can respond to incentives and exert control over their behavior. As we dive deeper into the intricate nature of addiction, it becomes completely evident that there's more to the story. Addiction is not solely about brain chemistry. It's an interplay of various factors, including individual psychological, social connection, and the quest for stimulation. New thinkers have argued that addiction is a social phenomenon. They propose that the opposite of addiction is connection. However, this perspective falls short of explaining addiction for everyone, including me, as many addicts report feeling connected to others and having a very strong social support network. It's clear that something else is at play. The missing piece may relate to what Dr. Zental described as the optimal stimulation model. This model shows that humans, like animals, have a preferred level of stimulation. And when it falls below that threshold, which is unique to everyone, they seek out ways to increase their stimulation. In today's world, where resources are easily accessible and life can be relatively uneventful, people start searching for alternative ways to fill the gap in stimulation. And this includes behaviors such as gambling, online shopping, overeating, excessive social media use, drug abuse, and alcohol abuse. Hundreds of individuals in recovery have shared their experiences, noting that alcohol or drugs initially served a valuable purpose. These substances allowed them to feel and behave the way they desired, relieve their boredom, enhance productivity, numbed anxiety, and provided an escape from their inner restlessness. The common phrase among them is, it worked until it didn't. People caught in the grip of addiction can be likened to Dante's image of Satan in the Inferno. Dante portrays hell not as a world of heat and fire, but as a world of cold and ice. Satan desires to escape hell and do the right thing, but he's trapped in ice up to his chest. In his struggle to break free, he flaps his giant wings harder and harder, 
unaware that he's actually creating an icy wind that makes hell even colder, securing his stuck position. This analogy mirrors the experience of addiction, a learned behavior that initially appears to work, but eventually starts to backfire. In other words, addiction is a learned behavior that provides short-term relief and solutions, such as relief from discomfort and trauma and heightened stimulation. As time passes, it creates long-term problems. And the more an individual repeats that behavior, the deeper the learning, making it increasingly challenging to break free, if misunderstood. Addiction is not a predetermined destiny, but a result of choices influenced by environment, biology, and historical factors. It's deep learning. Just as with gaining weight, Few people set out to become obese, but it gradually accumulates through small daily decisions about what, why, and how much to eat. This leads to a habitual behavior that becomes difficult to change. Similar, problematic use of substances or behaviors can lead to addiction, where the perceived short-term benefits outweigh the long-term consequences. The key takeaway here is that addiction is not solely a matter of brain chemistry. It's a complex interplay of biology, psychology, social connections, and the quest for stimulation. Understanding this multifaceted nature of addiction is crucial for developing effective strategies to help individuals break free from its grasp. Just as addiction is learned, so too can better coping methods be learned, and individuals can find ways to overcome their addictions by making significant life changes and finding new sources of meaning and purpose. By learning the scarcity loop, I found that there's a pattern where addiction thrives despite adverse consequences and significant challenge. The loop is often fueled by a confluence of pain, the availability of addictive substances, and the lack of positive stimulation and effective coping because they can respond to new environments, new experiences and incentives that exert control over their addictive behaviors. Again, with the scarcity loop, which is a phenomenon rooted in the unpredictability of rewards associated with substance use, explains why addiction persists despite negative consequences. In summary, the brain disease model of addiction while promoted by institutions like NIDA and the drug war, they oversimplify the issue and may not align with the lived experiences of individuals struggling with addiction, fails to account for the role of incentives and environmental factors within addiction. And it just perpetuates this fatalistic perspective by acknowledging that there is a multidimensional nature of addiction we can better understand the complexities and we can offer hope to those who seek recovery. Addiction is not solely a brain disease. It is a condition influenced by biology, psychology, and individual experiences. And this tunnel vision of portraying it as a hopeless brain disease should be reconsidered. When the environment changes, when there is new stimuli, when we get back to our baseline or above, we can self-regulate without external substances. And it's not talked about enough. Narrator note. When I found this, 
it completely blew my mind. I have experienced time and time again where I overcome my addictive behaviors because I have enough within my life to stimulate me not to self-sabotage, so to speak. And I've been learning about the scarcity brain and the scarcity loop. And it all came together when I was reading the book, The Scarcity Brain by Michael Easter. And I was able to see a pattern with me where if I don't have enough stimulation in my life, then I will turn to alcohol and other bad behaviors. But I didn't understand why. I thought that I was the problem. I thought I had a brain disease. No, I don't. I do enjoy drinking once in a while. I enjoy smoking marijuana. But if I'm, you know, if I have a low, if I have a low quality of stimulation in my life, things to do, meaning and purpose, I want to drink a bunch of alcohol, which is counterintuitive to my goals. And discovering this has given me the power to realize I need massive change. If I feel like drinking, I now know where to look. I need more activity, more stimulation in my life. That could be changing my home, changing my job, changing what I do, changing how I do it, changing who I talk to, where I go. When I have incentives and my environment has changed, just like in the study of the pigeons, the clayfish, and the rats, even when those lab rats and lab animals were conditioned to take drugs, when put in their natural environment, almost 80% of them stopped using the drug and just used the natural stimuli around it. And this idea that I had a brain disease, that I had a disease that can't be cured, which is spoken so much in sobriety classes, it, it never worked for me. It was counterintuitive. It gave me the forbidden fruit syndrome. And I've never understood why. I couldn't figure out what made me different and why I, I noticed friends and other people could enjoy what I call playful sin and then go back to their normal life. It didn't make any sense. And now I see. And when I found this out, I was completely blown away that the two models of addiction are used specifically for underlining issues. I basically followed the money. And when I did this research, I found, oh my God, like this is a debilitating perspective. This is not okay. Calling an addiction a disease is wrong. It's not okay. It completely debilitates people from getting sober. They're already studying people who are told, hey, you don't have a disease. We just need to change your behavior. We need to change your environment. We need to change your, your, so, your, your circle. And they are recovering. But people who were told they had a disease said, well, I don't, it doesn't matter. I might as well keep drinking. I have, I have a brain disease for alcohol. Fuck that. I think it's bullshit. I think a lot of people are debilitated by this fucking bullshit that they have a hopeless brain disease. And it's already, I mean, I, I was able to reflect on how I recently got back into drinking because I have a lack of stimulation in my life. 
and me and my partner are about to move and we're about to do things. And it's all I can think about. It's all I want. And I'm so bored with what I've got going in my life. And I just need to add more stimulation because if I had a new career, if I had more contracts with narration, I wouldn't want to drink as much because I have something to look forward to. And that is underlooked and it's not talked about enough. And so I had to share this, friends. I had to share it. All right. Nathaniel out. Take care.